Listener Production. Do you think that every person in Australia has access to good pregnancy and birth support? If you have a Medicare card in Australia, you have access to free pregnancy, birth and postpartum care. Unfortunately, only 8% of women in Australia have access to continuity of care with a known midwife, which is where you see the same midwife throughout your pregnancy. Um, They are there at your birth and they also care for you in postpartum. And that model of care is known as the gold standard and it is um, connected to the best maternal outcomes. But unfortunately, because of the way the system operates, because of the lack of resources and because the maternity system is in crisis, that care option is only available to a small number of birthing people in Australia. Today on Fee Play Love, the inequalities that exist in Australia's birthing care. Feed Play Love with Siobhan Hunt. As we know, We all experience birthing differently. But how do disadvantaged and minority women birth in Australia? Jodie Wilson is a co-author of The Complete Australian Guide to Pregnancy and Birth. As part of her research for the book, she looked into this area. Hi, Jodie. Welcome to Fee Play Love. Thanks for having me, Siobhan. You and Sophie Walker put so many hours into this book trying to make it as complete as possible. I'm not sure other people writing a book like this would have thought to address this area. Why was it important to you? I felt like it was our responsibility to do so. And ultimately, when we started writing this book, we really had to address that we were writing it as middle-class white women Um, that it had the privilege of continuity of care in all seven of our pregnancies. Um, I've got four children, Sophie's got three. And for one, that model of care is only available to 8% of women in Australia. And two, it kind of requires a level of health literacy in that you understand the system and that you understand the benefits of that model of care and that you know that you need to book in early to access that care. So... We were very privileged in our pregnancies, in our births and the way we were cared for. Um, But because we were writing the complete Australian Guide to Pregnancy and Birth, we really wanted to make it accessible to all birthing families. And that meant really stepping out of our little bubbles that we live in and talking to people who work with minority groups, with people who are socially and economically disadvantaged, people that don't speak English as their first language. There is a whole big part of our society that perhaps we don't connect with or communicate with in our day-to-day, but they exist, they deserve perinatal care, just like any of us do. Um, They deserve birth support. And most importantly, they deserve accessible birth education. And that's where we wanted this book to fill that gap for all birthing families in Australia. So the first thing I did, um, you know, before we actually started writing it was read a lot. One of the best things I read was a novel 
by um, Australian author Alice Pung. It's called 100 Days. And Alice is actually the daughter of immigrants and she grew up in Melbourne and talks a lot outside of this novel about how her class actually affected her I suppose childhood teenage experience more than race did and this novel 100 days is set in the 80s and it tells the story of a teenager who falls pregnant and she's living in housing commission with her Chinese Filipino mother it really gave me and I suppose that's the power of of fiction, of really well-written literature, that it places you right in the moment with the character. And so I was very um, – I just – I was there with her in her housing commission flat in the middle of a Melbourne summer with a new baby as a teen mum without much support and, and yet having to kind of surrender to that that cultural tradition that her mother thought was best for her. But it really – it really did get me thinking about, you know, those people in our society who are teen mums, who are challenged socially and economically and what pregnancy is like for them. And, and I really wanted to, you know, reach out to the support networks that are in place already and include them in the book. But also, and I think this is the crux of it, is that there's so many areas of support that are out there, but finding that support mm. can be really tricky. Yes. Even for people that are very literate and have access to the internet and have a car to drive to places. Look, I even I learnt things about concessions that are available, and we can talk about this a bit later, you know, the concessions that are available um, from your electricity provider. Mm. Um, all these things that are available out there that people don't know about, and yet at the moment with, you know, the RBA consistently putting the cash rate up, we're seeing people are really, you know, struggling. You paint a picture there of one experience um, with a teen mum. What does inequality of access look like in Australia? Like there's one example where you might be isolated because of your living arrangements, the fact that you're young, what are the other barriers to getting equitable care when it comes to birthing in Australia? So culturally safe care is a major concern because, you know, I, I remember I think it was two years ago when Australia welcomed um, a lot of Afghani refugees and a lot of them were especially in Melbourne, I think a lot of them were pregnant. And so there's an organisation in Melbourne called Birth for Humankind and they their sole purpose is to provide birth support and culturally safe birth support for women like refugees or women that don't speak English as their first language. And yet they're, I think they're one of a tiny, tiny handful of organisations in Australia. So... I think we really need to think about language as a barrier and, you know, even if you speak English and you are, you you know, you know how to access the care system, what we hear over and over and over again on the podcast is 
I'm pregnant. I didn't know what to do next. I didn't know where to go for answers. I didn't know what my care options were. And these are all women who do speak English as their first language. And so what it, it is so challenging for women that don't have those language skills. And that's why it's very important for those women to, and, and, and this is again, they don't realise that they have the right to request a translator mm. in their medical appointments and that often the translating role falls onto a friend or a family member. And that's a huge responsibility because what they're trying to translate is medical terminology. Yeah. And there's very blurred lines there, like where does the responsibility lie in whether this this birthing woman is understanding her options or is understanding her health concerns mm. or is understanding what this obstetrician or midwife is telling her. It must be terrifying. Um, and I feel like it's a – it is. And I feel like it's a, a part of the system that is rarely, um, rarely discussed and perhaps that is because I'm a white woman and, and you know, reading – um, you know, maybe these stories just aren't getting out there, but they exist. These women exist and the hospital can feel foreign to a lot of us. It can feel like an unsafe space. And a lot of people have anxiety about going into hospitals. But imagine if you actually couldn't understand what your midwife or your obstetrician was telling you. Mm. And that's why culturally safe care and culturally um, safe birth support is such a benefit to those those birthing women and Birth for Humankind in Melbourne are really doing their best to um, to facilitate that. The language barrier sounds so obvious to me that it's hard to comprehend that we haven't addressed it better. But another thing that you mentioned earlier is, of course, financial disadvantage. And I think most Australians would assume that it wouldn't matter what your economic situation is because we have a public health system and good public health care. How does someone's economic status affect their ability to access good care? I think you're right in that that we all have access to free, if we've got a Medicare card, we all have access to free birth support in Australia. But we also know that the maternity system is in crisis. And we also know that the majority of women that are going through the public system have what we call fragmented care, which is where they see a different midwife at every appointment. And that means that they're not having the opportunity to develop a trusted relationship with their care provider. It also means that often they'll be telling their story and disclosing their medical history and perhaps disclosing a history of trauma as well, whether that's birth trauma or even domestic violence. We know that domestic violence rates skyrocket in pregnancy, especially if that pregnancy is unplanned. And we also know that pregnancy and birth is one part of the story. And so when we are pregnant, we're ultimately preparing to welcome a baby into our lives. And that baby has needs and requires car seats and a safe place to sleep and a pram. And that's where charity organisations really do come in, as well as social workers. And I feel like if you are socially or economically disadvantaged, I would I would really hope in the system, and this perhaps might not happen in the fragmented model of care system, but 
perhaps your GP or perhaps your first midwife that you see will help you gain access to a social worker in the system that can really help you and support you and your family in the pregnancy. And they often work with charities to to provide those needs for a new baby, but they can also really help you kind of create supportive relationships and and stable mental health support and those kind of things that are difficult for any of us to really establish. And I think perhaps even more so at the moment because the health system's in crisis. There's incredibly long wait times to see um, to see those support networks and. Ultimately, I think it is getting harder just because demand is getting higher. Mm. Um, and it's interesting that you touch on finances there because we we decided in the book to write a whole chapter on pregnancy and finance. Mm-hmm. And the reason we did that is because regardless of income, in pregnancy, everyone worries about money. Yes. And... There's a midwife in Melbourne, evidence-based midwife on Instagram, and she actually reviewed our book. And that was one of the things that she she did give it five stars, which was um, very <laughs> affirming for us. Um, but she also pinpointed that chapter because she said, you know, every pregnant woman has a concern about money. And it's, you know, we really felt it was necessary to address that in the book. And there's actually a study that says that there's one study that says that there's a link between financial stress and low birth weight wow. of the baby. Yeah. So women across all income levels are stressed about money. The perception of stress was a significant factor and I suppose the connecting factor. Um, so we've outlined in the book some really simple steps that you can take if financial stress is becoming really pertinent for you. And they include speaking to a financial counsellor if if you're really stressed about debt. Um, the National Debt Helpline is really um, can be very beneficial. Just encouraging talking about your concerns to people around you and also your support networks. And that's where a social worker would play that role for someone that can access that support. But we've also even outlined, you know, how to set up a Centrelink reference number and gain that financial support through Centrelink, which, you know, can be a headache. Oh, my God, Um, yes. And it's always best to – yes, we all know (laughs) that that, we've all spent time on the phone. And, you know, when I was fell pregnant with my first at 22, and and I think it was a a different – socially it was very different then because I think we were paying $280 in rent. So he's 16 this year and I feel like – 16 years isn't a long time for the change that we've seen in rent, which just proves that we are in a significant rental crisis. And, you know, the cost of living has skyrocketed and wages haven't. But at the same time, we didn't have a lot and we relied quite significantly on that support from Centrelink. But it, it can be a really difficult system to navigate. Again, even when you are literate and you have access to the internet, Um, But for those people that don't speak English as their first language or who perhaps don't have internet access and perhaps can't spend two hours on the phone every day, again, it's another level of challenge. So we have outlined how to actually step-by-step work through that process and set yourself up for family tax benefit and um, paid parental leave in the book. 
Speaking of uh, things that have changed over the last, Mm. let's say, two decades, we have seen more queer and trans families being accepted in the wider community. But I wonder if that was a minority community you were able to look at for the book as well, because I imagine while we think it's changed a lot, maybe it hasn't changed changed as much as we'd like. So in the book, we've included Manda's birth story. And Manda is in a queer relationship. Her pronouns are she, they, and she describes herself as a gender non-conforming human. So before they conceived through fertility assistance. They were binding their chest. And so the journey of pregnancy for them was mentally and emotionally challenging for the reality that their physical body was going to change and kind of was in opposition to how they saw themselves Mm. in the world. So that was a really important story to share and we're really grateful for Amanda for allowing us to to put it in there but during World Pride Week Sophie actually shared Alex's story just a snippet of his story on Instagram and Alex describes himself as a seahorse father in that he is a trans man who birthed a baby. What a beautiful analogy. Yeah, really, really beautiful. And Sophie had to turn the comments off because of what? the response. Was it, it was a negative response. There was a lot of beautiful, accepting, celebratory, positive comments, but disappointingly there was a lot of very hateful and hurtful comments as well. And Sophie actually spoke to camera and and said it, it instances like that just really highlight the privilege that she and I have in the world because we don't have to deal with that kind of response on a day-to-day basis. And yet there is a lot of trans parents out there, queer families that do and I think, you know, we, we hear it on the podcast a lot in that queer families, there's also a lot of talk about fathers in the maternity space, in the hospital system. Mm. Um, and I think it's really like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Like family units are so diverse now. We're seeing solo mums by choice and an increasing amount of them. There's queer families, there's trans men having babies we really need to shift that language in the birth space and it is happening but I think we really need to remember that language is powerful and it's time like we really shouldn't be discussing fathers as a kind of umbrella term in the hospital maternity unit and you know it's for that reason that we didn't do that in the book either. We always talk about birth partners or birth support people because we don't know what your family unit looks like. Uh, You know, we don't know what your support network looks like, but we wanted, again, this book to be incredibly accessible and we wanted everyone to open it and and really feel like they were included. Another part of this book that is possibly a bit unexpected 
was the section you have on unplanned pregnancy. Can you talk to me about why it was important to include that and what you discovered along the way? Well, 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. Wow. Which is a big statistic. So we're unsure as to how many of those pregnancies continue. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very hard to get statistics on that because a lot of information like that isn't disclosed or shared openly. But, you know, I think it's just the reality. And, And, you know, you might have children already and be very happy but not want another child. And we didn't want to place shame on any aspect of pregnancy and birth in this book. And I think that we really started from the beginning by saying that a positive pregnancy test can be joyous and you might be over the moon happy, but you also might be overwhelmed, anxious, stressed, regretful, and deeply concerned about what this means for your life moving forward. So if your pregnancy is unplanned, there's an amazing organisation called Children by Choice and they offer really unbiased information on abortion and adoption as well as, um, I suppose, parenting options. But they also offer a decision-making tool which you can access online. It's childrenbychoice.org.au and they it just helps you navigate your feelings and assist in making decisions at a very vulnerable time and they do so without judgment and I think we ultimately need more access to to organisations like that but we also need to really tell people that these organisations exist and as well as that um, during pregnancy and up to 12 months postpartum anyone can access three non-directive pregnancy counselling sessions through the Medicare Benefits Scheme and so that means that you're basically sitting with a psychologist or a counsellor and they don't offer you solutions, but they just are sitting there to kind of guide your own decision-making, I suppose. And again, most people don't know that that service is available. There are services out there, accessing them is getting difficult, but but actually knowing that they exist and that they are open to you is, I think, a really positive first step. And that's what we've addressed in the book. Jodie, this has been a fascinating chat. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, thanks, Siobhan. I'm really proud and privileged to be able to share um, this message and I really just hope it reaches the right people. That's Jodie Wilson. She's the co-author of The Complete Australian Guide to Pregnancy and Birth. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app and don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.